Welcome to episode 216 of Control the Controllables. And I'm delighted to welcome back Mr. Jonathan Overend. It's almost four years since I spoke to Jonathan on the podcast. He was one of my big guests and stars that I wanted to get on when, when we first started Control the Controllables. I was extremely nervous when I was speaking to him and here we are almost four years later and Jonathan has his tale to tell. You know, many things have happened in his life since then, but he is coming back to our screens. We're going to have that amazing voice joining us as today's the day that Sky Sports is launching their new channel, Sky Sports Tennis. And that's on Feb the 11th. So if you are listening today, then you will be able to watch 24 hours tennis, seven days a week on Sky Sports. Now, some of you are going, great, I've got Sky Sports. And some of you are saying, well, I can't afford Sky Sports. Well, there's pros and there's cons to everything in this life. And I guess you're going to have to listen and make your own mind up. But certainly from a selfish point of view, having the opportunity and the pleasure and the honour to speak to Jonathan Overend I didn't want to pass this up. So I'm now going to pass you over to the voice of tennis, Mr. Jonathan Overend. So Jonathan Overend, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? How are you? The award-winning Control the Controllables. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. And and I'm start I'm starting to think, Jonathan, that maybe the marketing team deserve all these awards. You know, maybe we're the ones that are pushing so hard for votes that they actually need the award in, in their in their office. But no, thank you for the for the words on that. And it's and thank you to anyone that's voted for us as well. Longevity, that's what it is. You know, and that's and that comes from passion, doesn't it? You know, longevity in anything comes from a desire to just keep doing what, what you do. And I think that's one of the great things about tennis, isn't it? There's a there's a number of you who've been doing podcast for many many years now and I, I always think whenever I start a new project I always think to myself go oh, how long how long is this going to last for and of course you get a couple of months into it and you think well, should, should I think start thinking about the next project you know that's sort of itchy feet syndrome if you like and I suppose that's the the producer in me rather than the broadcaster yeah. in me but that's that's why I have such enormous admiration for for the likes of you and uh, David and Catherine and everyone else who, who puts out their their podcasts you know on, a, on such a regular basis it's, it's it's fantastic for the sport really and, and I think on that as well, it's people always say to me, well, who are you going to get on next? But if you see this spreadsheet I have, it's just like, boom, boom, because it, the world of tennis is it's tight knit, but it's also huge when you start mm. to kind of unlock all of the different lenses and the, the different parts of the industry. And then a new coach appears and then someone else does this. And then someone as yeah. kind as yourself comes on for a second time uh, as well. And we can and start they're phoning you up in. rather than the other way around. We, <laughs> we can start delving into new topics, but to, to, to start with, uh, I can't have you on. Obviously the last time I saw you in person, Jonathan was, at Wimbledon, the All England Club, at the the British Tennis Journalist Christmas lunch, and and on that table that day, it was well, it was fantastic seeing many people. But I actually sat next to Mike Dixon on that day, and I had I had such a such a fun two hours with him, you know, just sharing stories and obviously the the devastating news that that came out of Melbourne that just shocked shocked the, the the tennis world but certainly the broadcasting world and specifically within british tennis and 
uh, heartbreaking at 59 years old. And I, I just want to start with just maybe a few words on on Mike and what he meant to, to the community. Well, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to say a few words right at the start, Dan, because Mike, as well as being a colleague over many years, was, was, was also a friend. And when you're, as you know, when you're on the tour, good company counts for a lot. And Dicko was certainly that. He was exceptional company. And I had a, an amazing night with him, I remember, in New York. Um, we went out for dinner and talked about this, that, and everything. Because that was the thing about Mike. He he had an interest in so many different areas of life. So you'd obviously talk about tennis. You'd talk about the day's tennis. You'd talk about what's coming up tomorrow. And then you'd quickly move on to something else. And he liked sort of urban architecture and urban parks. And he liked uh, 80s music. And he liked sort of weird sort of jazz funk from the 80s. So we had a strange sort of niche crossover there. We talk about that. And he was into politics. And uh, he obviously lived just around the corner of the All England Club. So everything to do with, with Wimbledon was very close to his heart as well. He he was an exceptional human being. And I think that, that has really come across, hasn't it, since his tragic passing, how much respect everybody who came across him had not just in the tennis community and there were two things for me which which really made him stand out as being so valuable to the sport of tennis he was a journalist first and foremost he wasn't a tennis fan sure he was sure he was a tennis fan but not first and foremost first and foremost he was a journalist and what does that mean in practice that means number one you look at things critically You've got a critical eye. So you don't just turn up to a match and say, ooh, what we do? Didn't what, what, a, what a great contest. He'd look at things critically and say, well, what could be better here? What what perhaps has irritated people? What what's what how could things be improved? That that's what happens when you look at things with a critical eye. And I think he got a lot of respect for that because it just meant that he wasn't a natural cheerleader, in a sense. You know, some of the things we'll come on to, I'm sure, in this conversation. How can the sport evolve? How can the sport move forward? Dicko was always thinking about that sort of thing. But he also studied things in such great depth. And ask anyone in British tennis if there was a guy around the NTC or around the ITF tour or around training camps more than Dicko, no one's met that person yet. You know, he was always there. He was always with his finger on the pulse. And I think, again, people had, whatever he would write about people, people always knew it would be fair. And I think that that's that's all you can ask from a journalist. And he'll be so missed, so missed by family, friends, colleagues, and I know by the sport of tennis because he was such a valuable member of the tennis family. And beautiful words, Jonathan. And, 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 and we're going to jump into that subject around broadcasting platforms. And like you talk about, Tennis, tennis is up against so many things here yeah, to get their eyeballs onto tennis, you know, whether it's other sports, whether it's Netflix, whether it's TikTok, whether it's, you know, there's so many, there's so many other areas now in the world. And certainly mm. Mike, I remember being a junior player and, and Mike was there writing about our Le Petitas triumph in 1994. And then he was he was there when we were playing football with Tim Hemman on the beach in Miami Beach in 1997. And then and then you fast forward to 2024 and he was still delivering the news, like you say, in a critical way with the same passion and that longevity and that platform that he provided for British tennis, you know, which through that period of time, 
was going under at many times you know there was there was you know do people start even forgetting about it apart from the two weeks at Wimbledon and it needed people like Mike to keep it alive it needs people like we're going to jump into to the sky deal you know the the broadcasting deals that are out there to keep the sport alive and to get it in front of people mm. but but before we move into that Jonathan we did speak back in 2020 and it's uh, yeah, a long time ago. You were one of my long first, time ago. One of my first guests, and lots happened since uh, then. <laughs> it certainly has, and I want you to give me a little overview. But I certainly, I when I was listening yesterday, it came through loud and clear. Your passion for tennis was was great. Uh, you at the time had just left the BBC, potentially being forced out of the BBC, moving. Then you were about to do a little bit of the ITV coverage at the French Open. I learned that. I was really pretty crap as a as a podcaster, so hopefully you can see some development in me today as well over the last over the last four years. Uh, but yeah, what have you been up to? Give us a quick speed update on Jonathan Overend over the last three or four years. Well, that's really interesting what you say about listening listening back to an interview from four years ago and critically reviewing your own performance because that links back to what we were saying about Dicko, isn't it? Crit critical thinking and it's how it's how we improve, you know, and certainly in broadcasting, you can only really improve if you listen back to, to what, you, what you've done and, and learn from it and try, and try to get better. It has, it's been a very, very odd few years. As you say, I think when, when I stopped being the, the BBC's tennis correspondent in 2013, and my last match was when Andy won Wimbledon for the first time, uh, a lot of people just sort of assumed that I'd sort of fallen out of love with the sport and had gone off to do football or, or, or something like that. You know, nothing could really be further from the truth. It, it was just a, a situation where I couldn't travel anymore. I just simply couldn't do the job anymore. I, I remember at the time, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but the BBC said, well, you know, could you could you maybe do a few more events from back home? Could you maybe do two of the four Grand Slams? I said, no, that's not that's not the job. You know, you've got to throw yourself into it. So the time was right to hand over the uh, the, the, the bat on, if, if you like. But as you say, tennis has never never left me and uh, as a freelance now I mean you had Colin Fleming on recently and Colin works alongside me at ATP Media so we do a lot of the world feed commentary which goes out to all the international rights holding broadcasters so that that gets done sort of a lot of the weeks of the year um, on the 500s and the 250 events and now this amazing opportunity to to join Sky Sports for their um, Sky Sports Tennis the new channel which starts on the 11th of February, um, round-the-clock coverage from from all the ATP and WTA events and the US Open as well. So just uh, incredibly excited about jumping into that, working with some great people and hopefully, uh, hopefully bringing some British tennis stories, success stories once again. Now, before we move to 2024, the podcaster in me picked mm -hmm. up you couldn't do it anymore, 2013. You just couldn't do it anymore, you said. Why? Um, oh, well, how long have you got? <laughs> um, I think, do I want to talk about this or don't I want to talk about this? Do you know what? I do want to talk about this because I think this gets to the heart of what a lot of us have in our family lives and in our working lives. We have this sort of unspoken idea that if something's happening in our personal life we can't let it affect our work life and that if any decision we're going to make in our professional life it has to be completely separate right okay i'm not going to let anything affect my job 
It's yeah. like, I mean, well, who who decided who decided that? And I think it's really harmful in a way. And I look at, at athletes especially, and you know, I, w- what I was going through at the time, I can't get into the ins and outs of it because it affected my family. It was a family situation that meant I couldn't do my job anymore. Uh, and I look at athletes now and I think so many of them must be in similar situations. They must be going through various mental health turmoil. Things might be happening in their family lives, which might be the, exactly the, the sort of thing that happened in my family life that meant I couldn't do my job anymore. Now, if that happens to a guy or girl at the top of the sport of tennis, for example, what what happens? Well, we as fans just expect it to carry on. And if someone takes nine months off, um, we kind of question it and say, well, where are they? Well, you know, what's the injury? And I think we have to sort of just be a lot more empathetic now in 2024 about people's need to step away from whatever it might be. We, we have to look after ourselves because for too long, society has sort of entertained this idea that, right, that's, that's that day's work done onto the next day or that's that tournament done onto the next tournament. It's like, when do we ever get a chance to sort of stop and and think and breathe and prioritize. I suppose that's what what I had to do. I had to sort of prioritize in my personal life, and I I, I like it when people are open about that and talk about it because I think it's really really important. I think Amanda Ennismova, I think, did exactly yeah, that did. La- last year and actually was really she open did. about the need. Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka also. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I just think we need to sort of evolve society if you like to a position where people aren't uncomfortable to say do you know what i can't i can't do this at the moment i'm not saying i'll never be able to do it again just can't do it at the moment and i think broadcasting a bit like sport is one of those occupations that is really prevalent for people getting into difficulties just because of the nature of the cycle if you like the news cycle 24 hour coverage day to day you know one day done gone on to the next day let's do it do you know what i mean it's like it's relentless relentless within within that you 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 know you might be sitting behind your microphone for five hours you might have a a couple of hours in meetings you might have a debrief you might have a two-hour journey home at the end of the day you might have a six hour sleep and then you're back in the next day and unless you have those opportunities to stop and take a take a deep breath sometimes and i don't know if we'll get on to the you know the politics in tennis at the moment, but that's that's oh, where we will. some of the we will. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> but that's where some of the big decisions in tennis we we can't we just can't make them while we're still playing tennis eleven months a year. I mean, where, where is the time and space to step away, get the broader perspective that we need to take the big decisions? And 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 that's what I had to do um, ten years ago, and sort of had to for five, six, seven years after that. Um, things are now in a much better place and, um, you know, I'm delighted to still have the opportunity to do what I love to do. Um, and I, as I say, I really hope that more people who talk about the challenges they face in, in professional environments get heard because we've, we've got to, we've got to change that, that perspective, you know, work is not the most important thing, you know, personal life, family life is, and our own individual health is so. Um, that, that's what I'd say. Thanks, Jonathan. I, and I think it's powerful you you sharing that. It it really is. And I, I guess the 
the thought process I was having as you were speaking there is what what do the critics say to tennis players? And what they say is, well, you're getting paid all of this money. You're a role model. You know, you should just deal with it. But but what you're saying and what you're bringing alive is is the human nature of it. You know, nobody yeah. nobody is a robot. And it's something that absolutely we've got to get our heads around. The flip point of that, Jonathan, in the, in the tennis world, is there's always someone else ready to take the position. And yeah. and I would imagine it's quite similar in the journalist world as well. Yeah. That it's that it's such a competitive space. Mm. And and then the second point is, and this goes in, and we just spoke about this actually on our Australian Open review episode last week. These players that are complaining of burnout, because burnout comes in many forms, right? But ultimately burnout is 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 often a mental health issue. You know, yep. it's the it's the whether it's emotional, whether it's from a more mental standpoint, whether it's linked to family, whether it's linked to relationships, it's linked to many things. Burnout gets you to the point of being so overwhelmed you can't do it anymore. And tennis players are complaining of burnout, but the season ends and that one month period that we don't have a tournament, half of them go off the bloody Middle East and play exhibition matches for yeah. the month of December. And, it, and it's so competitive and it's it, it's harder. And as you say, someone's ready to take your place in the in, in the rankings that you want to work harder. So you maybe build extra time into your off-season training block. It's it, it's relentless. It's re absolutely relentless. And I think a couple of things you've said there that I really want to, to, to just come back on, that that perspective of looking at a tennis player now has completely changed for me, completely. All right. Just because I know from experience that us as viewers, as fans, as spectators, we have no idea, no idea what is going on in these people's worlds. To us, they're just a figure of entertainment. You know, we sit there in the tennis stadium and we go, right, you are, you are over there, get the ball, get your racket, play, entertain us. Right. And just entertain us, put on a show. And we've got no idea. And the thing about someone being ready to take your place, yeah, I mean, the, the tennis ranking system doesn't help with that, does it? Because it, let's just say there's a tennis player out there who wants to do what I did, which is step away from their job for the sake of their own health and their family's health. Can you do that realistically, the way that the ranking is is set up? I mean, I mentioned Anissa Mova. I mean, obviously, if you go away and have a child, it, it it's completely different because of the uh, the WTA's um, Dan Evans. Know, maternity Dan Evans situation. has had a go. Dan Evans has had a go. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not on his own, not on his own accord. But he he what he did. Not many people gave him the credit. Actually, obviously, no. he had he had unbelievable the what he's done, and he had the drug ban. But also, people forget a couple of years before that he had an injury that took him out for a year as well. So yes. two times he pretty much lost his ranking and yeah. fully climbed back up. To, to actually better his ranking oh, within 10, incredible. 11 months. And, and I, I, you know, so I, I was probably one of those people that, that, that when he got his ban said, that's it, he's done. You know, what an idiot. You know, he's just become a top 50 player for the first time and he's he's been found guilty of this, he's done. I was probably one of those people. And that is where you learn, don't you? You learn, you learn a lot about the human spirit and the, the ability of people to turn their lives around. And I am so full of admiration for what Dan has managed to do. 
just un- incredible effort. And, you know, that he's still able. I mean, that match he played with Alcaraz in the Arthur Ashe Stadium was one of the best special. matches that yeah. I've seen. It was a special, special day. And to commentate on that, I'm I'm there on the mic, just looking at it, talking about both of these guys, thinking actually there's not much between them. There really is, is not much between them on this day. And sure, Alcaraz wins the match, but but you know, great great effort. Um, and and here's an example for you, Dan. You know, we talk about, or I talked about, you know, my situation. I know I'm not I'm being a bit cryptic and not giving too much away, but here, here's a, a practical example of what I was going through. U.S. Open final of 2012. Andy Murray is playing Novak Djokovic. Remember that um, Murray led two sets to love. Djokovic wins sets three and sets four. Now, I'm commentating with Alistair Eakin on, on the radio, and I do sets one, three, and five. So set four, I'm walking around. You know, I'm not on the mic. I'm sort of distant because I know the Djokovic comeback is on. And I know, realistically, Djokovic is quite possibly the favorite to go on and win that match you know the ascendancy was in uh in, in that position my phone starts going and it's home and it's it's my kids at home crying down the phone now that's not a situation any parent wants to be in you know even if no. you're just around the corner but imagine that happening your other side of the world you're in the fourth set of a grand slam final and you're about to go on for the deciding set of a match which ultimately crowns a Grand Slam champion for Great Britain, which was unbelievable from Andy. But 45 minutes before he did that, I'm in tears out the back of the Arthur Ashe Stadium court on the phone with my children. And people might go on social media and say, you're a shit commentator, or, you know, "What, what are you doing anywhere near the radio? And it's like, fine, it's fine, but let's all just be a little nicer to each other, I think. And I've learned that over the years. There have been times where I've, you know, probably when I was writing off Dan Evans and probably assorted other players. Do you know what I mean? It's like, be a bit nicer and a bit more empathetic. And I've definitely learned that from my own personal experience. And that's where, that, that was probably the day that I knew I had to sort of step away and uh, you know, it took a while and thankfully they persuaded me to stay until Wimbledon the following year otherwise I wouldn't have got to see Andy <laughs> Wimbledon um, but you know just, just an example of stuff that, yeah, that it's a great example it's a personal. great example because it does it's it's, it's happening all the time it, it, it's actually something that a few years ago we brought a protocol in at, at the sort of tennis academy within the team is rather than diving in to a to a player or diving into another staff member and almost kind of not ridiculing but saying what you do what you why are you not doing that or get off your phone or whatever it might be if that you can tell when people are distracted mm. was was to ask the question how are you I, I i can tell that you don't quite see me yourself you know and and give people <laughs> give people that first right of <laughs> Of being able to be understood, you know, before before we jump in, and mm. it's not always easy because we all live a, a hectic life and we're all kind of stressed, right, at different times, and sure. it's very easy to jump in. But just by us all asking that question and not not making an assumption that someone is being like that 
to to be an ass, but actually giving them that 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 empathy that actually if you if you are like that, there's obviously something going going wrong, and I think the world would be a better place. And we obviously live in a world where there's a lot of worse things going on now as well. But sure. you know, but if the world would be a better place if we all were just a little bit kinder. So yeah. thanks for so much for sharing that as well, Jonathan. And, and the other thing is it's done as well is it, it it's really made me think about some of the words we use in commentary as well because sports commentary I I think at times is so cliched, so cliched, just in terms of some of the, some of the, what we would consider to be commentary lines. Whereas, I mean, I don't know if this is me being a bit earnest. It probably is. Give me an is. example. Give me an example. Okay. So, so I, I would never use the expression back against the wall. All right. I would, I would never use that expression because that, that is an expression that comes from a firing squad. Right. Okay. That, that's that's what it is. If your back is against the wall, you're facing a firing squad. You're about to be executed. As I say, it's probably me, me being way too earnest. But to me, the, there are, there's, a, there's a lot of examples like that that have just kind of come into sort of sports, the sports vernacular that people use that is just like, no, it's like someone bullying somebody, bullying someone around a, a court. I, I, don't, I don't like that myself. It's like, I don't want to be a bully. I don't want anyone to be a bully. Yeah. Well, let it's me just know. Something, it's just something to think about. Let me know what you think about this. So, me, 43 years old, I've always had challenges with my weight. And, and, and that's a mental health thing, you know, something like I remember age 13 or 14 stepping on the scales as looking back at 13, 14, I was fit as a fiddle, but I was always quite a big guy and everyone laughing at me on the scales and I was always heavier. So, it was something I carried. And then I went to India and I can laugh about it, but it, it affected me and has affected me for, for many years. And and I came through the qualifying of a, of a futures event, singles, and all three set matches. Then I, I won the singles, pretty much all three set matches, tie breaks, won the doubles. And the final was televised on national TV in India. So as as the match finishes, it's kind of jubilation for me. I've, it's my first ever singles futures event. I beat Prakash Armitage in the semi final, who was the big Indian hope at the time. VJ Armitage is there. It's it's about forty six degrees every day. I'm unbelievably proud of myself. Won eight singles matches, four doubles titles, four four doubles matches, and I come off the court, and the commentator says to me, uh, live on Indian TV, he says, Mister Keenan. We can't help notice that you're carrying a little bit of excess weight uh, on the court, and we've been comparing you to some of the other overweight sportsmen of the last few years. And we were talking about Ian Botham, David Boone, who went to all of these cricket players. So that happened. So I've just won this event hundreds, thousands of miles away from home. I then walk into a little mini press conference. And all of the questions are around the same thing. And I pick up the newspaper the next day and there's about five articles. And I remember them clearly. That one headline was, Keenan shows he has the stomach for the battle. Oh, golly. The first, lines, the first line of the next one was, Keenan shows you don't need to have a Baywatch six-pack to be a tennis player. I mean, I got 
completely destroyed, like completely destroyed. Now, that's a, a bit of an over-the-top example, but just those one or two words that can be used, mm. you know, in, in, in life and on commentary or, or people in, in interview can have quite a profound effect on somebody somebody for for a long long period and yeah. and and I don't think sometimes we appreciate that the power we have on both ways the power we have to help someone but also the power we have to destroy someone often with just one yeah. or two words and I think that that, that sort of long term impact I mean the, the fact that that's still on your mind and you're still able to recount the story so very so well. clearly, very stomach clearly. for a fight. Not not a bad headline, by the way. Fair fair play for that for that one. But doesn't that indicate how, at the time, we'd probably chuckle along, wouldn't we? We'd probably go, huh, yeah, all right, whatever. And you'd sort of find a way of dealing with it at the time. But the fact it still lingers, yeah, it should tell us everything. And I I think you're right. Language is important. Attitude is important. I I think of how. The broadcasting world has changed in my well thirty years now in in the profession. I mean, it it's extraordinary, and to think that some people still have a problem with us not being allowed to say certain things. No, we can't. We can't say that because it's wrong, or we yeah. we can't. The reason we can't say that is because it's offensive, or the reason we can't say that is because it would make someone you know still recount that story because they're clearly still hurting from it eight years from now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so it, it's just, it comes back to that idea of just stepping back, giving ourselves all time to think, breathe, analyze, reassess. And I've done this so much over the last 10 years, this sort of like introspection, if you like, to sort of reassess my own sort of opinions, values. And, and you change. If you, if you look at yourself and don't change, you're basically saying there's nothing wrong here. And how, how do you improve if you don't see anything wrong? Don't know. That sounded vaguely philosophical. It does, and 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 Jonathan, I think it's a nice it's a nice place for us to move into into the heart of of the of the way that I wanna I wanna run this because we've we've talked about words words that have been used. We've reflected a little bit on on the last on the last four years, and I thank you so much for your honesty on that. And and I can tell you right now, you've impacted a lot of people listening, which is. Which is exactly why why we bring these episodes to people. But I'm going to give you a quote that you made back in 2020, and I've got a few. Uh -oh. And 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 we're then gonna we're then gonna talk around where that subject might take us, and that's okay. that's going to be how the show. It's going to be a show. That's how the show is going to work. And where I also want you. I want you to give us some information as well here, Jonathan, because there's, I guess there's, there's exclusivity. I don't like exclusivity. I'm not a big fan of it. Again, it's probably Northeastern values. Uh, I'm more for, you know, inclusivity and, and the way that things are. Um, you know, certainly what I don't like about the potential new two, I don't like this exclusivity in our sport. I think already tennis is, is too exclusive. We don't open it up to enough people to have an opportunity it, we certainly in in a country like Spain where I live, there's more opportunities to play than a country like like Great Britain. But you also said to me, you said all sports should be on terrestrial television. 
Is all what sport. You, uh, that's what you. That's what you said. The whole you of said, sport. <laughs> the whole of sport. Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and 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 the point that you were making, and it's the right point, and I'm sure you still agree to this point, is we should be provide. It should be providing it. That's where inspiration comes. You know, as a junior, as a as a youngster, we all remember waking up to FA Cup final days. I remember the day Princess Diana died. Bless her soul. I was devastated because Newcastle Liverpool was cancelled that day. It was the ITV match that yeah. was that was coming out on that on that day, and that used to you know the excitement used to build, and and that is what gets into us from such a young age. Maybe times have changed. So now you are terrestrial TV was what you were pushing for. The cynicism is the exclusivity of Sky TV package. We can't afford the thirty pounds, the forty pounds a month. Obviously, we've heard what's been happening in the last few weeks. We don't even get the multi-courts. We don't even get this. And I don't think a lot of people quite understand what it is yet. So tell us. It's my lead into you giving us. Tell us all there is to know about Sky Sports Tennis, the, the new channel, uh, the positives, and also some of the things that you guys have got to look out for and improvements that you're going to have to look to make. Yeah, so, I mean, the re the reality is there will be a round-the-clock tennis channel starting, as you say, on the 11th of February, Sky Sports Tennis. Um, for the tennis enthusiast, I mean, dreamland. You know, turn it on uh, and it'll be there for Channel 408 to start start with and then uh, it'll be Channel 407 pretty much permanently. That's that's where you'll, where you'll need to go. But obviously available through Now TV. Uh, the Sky Sports app, um, the, the fancy TVs you can get, glass, stream, queue, all that sort of stuff. It's available there. And the, and the thing for me is it's is it's a channel. So if you're if you're hopping from Premier League to golf to cricket, whatever it might be, one press of the remote control and oh, there's the tennis. So the tennis community can go and find it. And I, I'd like to think those of us in the tennis community will find their tennis where wherever it is. Sure, we might not particularly be happy about paying for it, but that such is such is the commercial world we live in. But more than that, the sports fans who are who have their sky for their Formula One or for their darts or for their Premier League are now able to access the tennis as well. So it's my belief that that is actually an overlooked audience. We kind of have these conversations by saying, oh, there's the tennis audience and then there's the casual Wimbledon audience, if you like, as if to say people only watch tennis once a year, which in a lot of cases is true. But then there's people like my mum, my mum, Dan, who loved Amazon Prime, loved watching it on Prime, and now is going to love watching it on Sky, but doesn't sit there watching every single match, but wants to be able to, to flick through the channels, might watch a bit of... Might watch a bit of the snooker, might watch a bit of the darts. Oh, I'll watch a bit of the tennis today. So I think there's a great opportunity now to hook in a lot of people who enjoy tennis, who know about the stars of tennis, but who maybe haven't religiously gone looking for it in the past. Now there's that opportunity to hook them in and make them tennis fans of, of the future, which I think is really exciting. Obviously, we want to be there for the tennis community as well. That's why there's going to be all sorts of things on offer. You know, Gigi Salmon's going to be out in Doha 
first week presenting um, people who've been maybe watching the occasional match on Sky already this season are going to see a big step up in the presentation of what is going to be on offer. And as you say, the multi-court coverage, um, certain elements on demand as well, bonus streams through Now TV. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of baffling myself with corporate speak already, and I don't necessarily mean it. As a fan of terrestrial TV, you're absolutely right. But a sport like tennis is an 11-month-a-year sport. So that just, can't, that just can't go. You can't just say, oh, let's put all that on BBC Two all year round. It's just not going to happen. And I think... This is a this is a great opportunity for tennis, in my mind, to reach new audiences. Great, and and I I I hadn't realised that either. So I think I think for me to hear even personally uh, on on how it's going to be set up. So that's brought a couple of questions, maybe selfish questions, but I'm sure I'm sure that you're sitting in the car right now, maybe thinking the same thing. There's not matches on twenty four hours a day globally. I know it's not far off. So how will that other time be used? Will that be that be replays of matches? I'm certainly hoping that we get some US Open mixed and yep. women's doubles final replays. Classic uh, you matches. Know, you yeah. have to text me when those ones come on. <laughs> I, I need to relive that. But is there or, or is there then going to be tennis shows? I like to buy into characters, right, and stories. I think I think we're all the same. You know, we buy into the stories of people and that's what I love doing this podcast uh, and I mm -hmm. love podcasts because I, I think people can get the context of their story and their personality across is the, is is that going to be part of the coverage what can we expect to see on on that channel when I guess the dead time of when matches aren't happening yeah well I mean I'm just just thinking about next week just uh, as an example you've got Dallas on and you've got Doha on and there'll yes. be a European tournament as well won't you? So actually, it's, it's not, not going to—it's not going to be far away from twenty-four hour a day tennis, which uh, which is is really going to be something. Um, you don't need uh, a I... podcast. You don't need a podcast <laughs> to fill in for some of the some of the little gaps. <laughs> you can visualize it. Yeah, I'll, I'll put you in put you in touch with the, the people at the top table. No, but I think I think the point you make about the personalities is a really good one, and it's it's something I know myself and and Gigi. A very, very big on. We're storytellers at the end of the day. We're journalists, number one. We've started this conversation by talking about one of the, the great tennis journalists in 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 Mike Dixon, our RIP. And if you're a journalist, you're a storyteller. And that's what we want to do. We want to tell stories. And sport is just one of the, the great vehicles for storytelling because you have a start, a beginning, and an end. And you have characters. You have personalities. You have ups and downs, uh, uh, swells of emotion. And that's why I love sport, you know, what it does to your soul, how it makes you feel. And that's one of the things that in this sort of data-driven era of sports coverage, I feel still remains so important. Make people feel when they're watching their sport. You know, bring that emotion out. Tell people things they don't know about the, the human side of these individuals. I think that's really, really important. And absolutely, that will be at the heart of uh, a lot of the Sky coverage this year. There's a podcast name in there somewhere. Sport and Feels and all Something of those like things. <laughs> uh, my my next one, uh, the Davis Cup has to live. Has the to live. The history of the competition speaks for itself. And the old format gives kids the chance to get in and watch tennis, which they might never have. Now, this was yeah. said 
almost four years ago. And, and, and I guess the bit I would love to get your, as we evolve and, you know, as you rightly say uh, above, you know, we're not one to stop the movement of time. Time moves, things move, things change. And what we've seen over the last two years is we've seen the Davis Cup finals happen in Malaga. Uh, I think last year or the 2022 was okay. 2023, I think, was quite a big success. You know, I think certainly with the the Finnish crowd, the the British crowd, the probably the Northern European countries who want a bit of December sun, and it's only a two or three hour flight. They kind of brought the home tie feel to yep. it. I don't know how close to you to 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 it you were in December, uh, but how how has your opinion evolved around? The Davis Cup since we last spoke. Yeah, I think I think again it comes back to what we were saying about the 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 elite closed shop of the tours potentially, and then the the rest, the pathway. And I think if you're going to have the closed shop finals, you've got to make it good. And I agree, progress was made. I think there's still a little way to go, but at least it's heading in the right direction. But for me, the Davis Cup is about the home and away format, and I, I think that's what you can't lose. And what what hasn't worked for me is in the group stage of getting nations into one location and expecting there to be atmosphere expecting there to be big crowds expecting people to care that, that it just I, I mean i don't know how you get around it with without returning to how it always used to be but the ho- the opportunity to host a tie in the davis cup is so important because it gives the the lower nations an opportunity to get some revenues we're not we're not all lucky enough to be in British tennis and have Wimbledon fund a governing body quite so grandly as it does the LTA. You know, if you're if you're the Mozambique Tennis Federation, I would wager that probably the vast majority of your income comes from maybe the one or two Davis Cup ties that you're able to host over the course of the year. Do you know what I mean? So I just think sometimes we we enter these conversations looking at it from a British perspective or from a Spanish perspective. Let's go to Malaga. Let's go to Glasgow, whatever. Tennis is the second most global sport in the world behind association football. And and you know, the, the facts speak for themselves. And we have to look after all those territories when we have these conversations about such such a, an international conversation as the Davis Cup. And I know, I know they do. I know at the ITF they care passionately about protecting all the nations, making sure they're funded, making sure they have the opportunities. But um, I think I think there's work still to be done there on the future format of the competition. I don't know exactly how it works, but I, I wouldn't have it every year. Uh, I think every I other think, year, maybe. Yeah, maybe every other year, and and you know maybe, or maybe even kind of two times over five years. In in there's a format in there around the qualifying that works, but I I just I I think the every yearness about it is is adds to the relentlessness and the congestedness of of our world, and 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 we just can't be expecting players to continue giving so much because it, it because it, a Davis Cup tie technically it certainly takes two weeks out there's an argument it takes three you know but it definitely takes two out for for anyone that's certainly the singles players uh, because of the preparation week because of then the event itself and then you can't go and travel and compete and perform to the highest level yeah. the next week and then you're looking at three ties a year so you're looking at six weeks being given 
you know, in, in an already very congested year, I just don't think it fits. I really don't. So I, I, I if it wants to work in the classical sense, I think it needs to be over a two year period or or a longer window which allows allow allows for that. I, I don't have all the answers, but a lot of uh, our great experiences are from the Davis Cup though, aren't they? I they mean, are. I, I, I think back and you know obviously Murray's lob winning winning it out in uh, out in Ghent against Belgium. Um, before that, you know, the rise from the, the defeat to Lithuania in the Sports Hall of Doom uh, against a nation with only four ranked players. And that was the lowest of the lows. And then to build from that to win the Davis Cup and uh, in Seville when Nadal played, when Spain hosted uh, the USA on clay, that was an unbelievable experience to be there. So I think it, it's the sort of event that can bring fans supporters everybody invested in tennis a lot of joy a lot of passion and a lot of memories so i think it's really really important that we we protect it and you know if there's one thing that comes out of this conversation and i'm feeling it from yourself as well as the way i feel about the sport of tennis is i really hope that one day more voices are embraced in the sport that you know people understand that there are a lot of people who care passionately deeply about this sport without necessarily having any vested interest at all you know amazingly there are a few people out there who have independence still um, and it's really important that those voices are, are heard and I don't quite understand and I've never been able to understand why tennis closes its ears almost to to outside voices people who are from different backgrounds different experiences, different modes of operation, because I think those people can can add an awful lot to the conversation when we're talking about the future of a, a sport such as tennis. Well said. It's it's the number probably the number one thing I've taken in these two hundred and twenty episodes of Control the Controllables is it's blown me away. Not that I didn't know this, but it's blown me away how many amazing people they are in in this sport. Like completely blown me away. Genuine, authentic, intelligent, great opinions, just good, good, good people. And in in any industry, of course, you've got you've got the bad, but I really don't think there's much of it in tennis. I think it's a beautiful sport that's managed to somehow create this kind of odd existence that's created yeah. incredibly passionate people that uh, that that want the best, right? Want the best for the sport. That's Absolutely. And, and, and when you talk about passionate people, those people don't have to be don't have to be people who live and breathe tennis 24 hours a day. And I think that that's the thing that I'd, I'd say, because I, I find sometimes that pe the sport frowns a little bit if you've got something else going on. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. in my time away from tennis, I've done some I've done some football. I've done some boxing. I've done a lot of different sports. That shouldn't be a negative. That should be okay. What what have you learned from from those sports? What can you bring from those sports? You know, the boss of the Sky Sports tennis coverage has worked in the in Premier League coverage, in Olympic coverage, in WSL coverage. Has an awful lot of experience that she can bring to benefit the sport of tennis through her work with Sky Sports. Don't don't sort of frown at that and say, well, who's this outsider coming in, sort of taking over our stuff, our little closed closed shop and i don't you know i don't mean to come across as someone who who wants to criticize in 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 any respect the people who live and breathe tennis of course not i'm just saying that that outside influence i think can be more beneficial than it can be uh, a detriment 
Sir Andy Murray, you you touched mm. on it there. I do have a. That's also one point I just want to make, Jonathan. I I actually think the Davis Cup, the monumental Davis Cup effort, and then the monumental effort that was then made to get to world number one, was arguably when his career threatening, almost ending injury happened as well. You know, we talk about the mental side of it, but there's also the physical side, right? You know, the, the, when, when you've got these huge ambitions and aspirations and you're driving towards the top of the game, I think his history will tell us that period, that 12, 18 month period was kind of too much for Andy, you know, and his body, his body didn't like it. And, and what you said to me again, that the, the next quote, you said, after 2012, I thought Andy Murray looked as though he had accepted he might never win a Grand Slam. And we had Andy on, as many people know, our 200th episode. And Andy said exactly that, you know, that that mindset was was freed up by that acceptance. And I think it's been much talked about now. And that then allowed almost him to go on and and just play and go on and win the Olympics that year, win the US Open, win 2013 Wimbledon. And one of my favourite quotes that we've got on the podcast is this high standards, low expectations. You know, there's a difference between a standard and an expectation, you know, and I think the expectations can kill us and they can eat away at us. And I think they certainly did with Andy. Now, my, my, my question that I want to throw to you now, Jonathan, is, Andy's at a different stage of his career. And, you know, he I I commentated a very difficult match to commentate on at the Australian Open, you know, where he just there was an and I kept saying it, there's an air of resignation to this performance, which is which is just not Andy. Andy might lose and play badly, but he gets angry and he shouts at a few people and he snarls at a few people, and you can feel that that maybe turns it around. Is he at the stage of his career where maybe there's an acceptance? I think he's lost some like nine first rounds, an acceptance that maybe it is coming to the twilight. Well, I think he knows it's coming to the twilight period, but that he might lose a little bit of that expectation again. And maybe we have one last hurrah from Andy Murray over the next 12 months. I I think. I think there was a really key line in in the tweet that he put out last week, which was my mind works differently. Yes. You know, just to say I'm I'm wired differently. Now there's no there's no point and you lot is. on on and, and he absolutely is. And he wouldn't have got to where he is and done what he's done without that. And it's almost saying, Well, you can have your conversations about me, but you know, it's kind of all, all irrelevant because I'm gonna do my thing and I'm gonna go away and and try and change here and there and look at my serve and and, and do this and, and do that. And one thing's for sure, he will give it everything through until the, the day that he decides and only he will decide that that, that that is the end. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if he, if he gives it another go in terms of, in terms of winning matches. I mean, look, it was only 12 months ago. He was winning those two unbelievable matches in Melbourne, wasn't it? And, and those, those late night finishes when even, even that was, Four years after the 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 operations, Incre in even yes. that incredible. So th there's no there's no reason having done that a year ago that he can't do that now. Is I suppose the point that I would make because that was four years on a metal hip. Now he's five years on a metal hip. I honestly believe this about Andy. 
I think he was a few breakpoint conversions away from being a top 20, top 25 player in 2023. And, and I watched all of his matches. And I'm a massive Andy Murray fan. But the point I'm making is I felt last year, as we when we go back to 2012, there was a slight mental barrier that got in the way. And we had the Dima Nua matches. We had Sitsi Pass at Wimbledon. We, there's, there's many. There's many mm. throughout the year where he did not execute on on those on those break point conversions on those in those big moments and i just wonder if he can almost and who am i to tell andy murray but almost call upon that mentality shift that he had in 2012 that we've spoken about that you spoke about then to be able to go do you know what screw it i'm doing the right things let's trust it no expectations. I'm flipping going for it. And I just wonder if that could maybe lose a little bit of that mental hurdle that has yeah. potentially got in the way over the last 12, 18 months. I, I hope so. I hope so. For for his sake. I really do. And you know, how different could last year have been had he had he beaten Sitsipas? And would he have beaten Sitsipas were it not for the weather and the late finish and the roof on the first day? Possibly, you know. Possibly, and that could have that could have changed his season. And you know, from that point, you know, he he, he really struggled, didn't he? And, and didn't register many wins at, at all. I, I hope what you say does come to fruition, and it sums up the grueling nature of competing in our sport, doesn't it? The next comment I want to want to want to ask you about, I, and and I don't think maybe I'm made for TV for this exact reason. Uh, you said during the point you will be shutting up, hopefully, which isn't always the case, uh, which is <laughs> no. which is slightly different to radio. And the, the bit I want to ask you on that is there's there's kind of a new wave of tennis commentary. You know, we've kind of got current players. Obviously, we had Nick Kyrgios throughout Australian Open that they may be adding a a more emotional and maybe less factual touch to their commentary it's 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 a little bit of a, a a different style what's your what's your takes on take on on nick's style but maybe not so specific to nick uh that specific comment that you made four years ago yeah i mean i i, I actually was quite surprised by Kyrgios in in australia i i, I quite enjoyed it and I, I wasn't i wasn't expecting him to a want to do it as in sit through a four-hour match and 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 be their ball one to the final ball. Um, could I could I have listened to him on every match of the whole tournament? No, but he did he did bring excitement. That's that's undeniable. The art of commentary, Dan, is a is a really really curious thing. And ask a hundred people about it, and you'll get a hundred different answers about a what they want to hear, and b how they think it should be done. Right. So if you get this huge swathe of differing opinions. How can anyone sit there and say this is the right way? All you can do is bring yourself and what you believe in, your your training, your experience, your passion, your emotion, your knowledge. Bring all that to the table and try and be distinctive. That's that's all that's all you can really do. Is there too much chat in tennis commentary? In my opinion, yes, there probably is. And I think it irritates people. And I think a lot of commentators need to listen back to 
what they do in the way that you listen back to your podcast and want to improve from it. And I think sometimes maybe we don't do that enough as broadcasters. You've got to review. You've got to listen back. And if you're irritated by yourself, well, someone else is damn sure going to have been irritated as well. I think I think there is an art to commentary that I think a lot of people don't quite get. And a lot of it is down, in my opinion, and again, this is just my personal opinion, a lot of it is down to the fact that you've got to have an appreciation of who's watching. Sure, you're going to have some people watching every ball of a four-hour best-of-five set match, but I would hazard a guess that the majority of people who watch at some point are not watching every ball, right? They've got other things going on. They've got their kids going out the door. So Australian Open, classic example. Night session is always going on. Wake up, first thing to do, put on the TV so that the kids can watch whatever they want at the Australian Open before they go out to school. Now, are you telling me we're all sitting there, you know, cross-armed, feet up at seven o'clock in the morning watching this? No, of course. The we're toast ready. Bags. Yeah, the toast ready. The coffee's on. There's a shirt that needs ironing. We're in and out. There's a, there's a break point. All right, we're going to watch a little bit of that. Zverev, Zverev's folding against Medvedev. We've got to be onto that as well. So, so what I'm getting at here is as a commentator, sometimes you've got a, a different job than, than we think. And to me, that's sometimes, I felt this a lot when John Motson died. I was a huge John Motson fan, um, the football commentator, for a number of reasons. One, I always heard his voice as a little bit of an alarm. I called it an alert in something I wrote. Motti was great uh, in commentary, offering an alert. And by that, I mean, hello, or, oh, just, (laughs) just a few little things going on in the inflection of his voice, the tone that makes people realise something's up or something's about to happen. That's a big thing for me in sports commentary. It's being aware of what might be about to happen. Really, really important. And that's where I think as a commentator, you've got to pitch it absolutely right. A, to alert people who are ironing clothes and putting the toast on in the next door room, come in here. Come in here because something, something, something's about to happen. This match is about to turn here because Zverev from 5-4 up in the third set tiebreak can't see off Medvedev. So this match is about to turn, right? You've, <laughs> you've got to be on top of that moment. And almost everything else is a sidebar, is news in brief. So it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It fascinates me, commentary. And I listen to a lot. I've worked with a lot of really great commentators. I've been lucky enough to share them as colleagues. And I listen to a lot of young kids who want to be commentators now, and they're really, really talented. But I think there's a danger in just looking at tennisabstract.com or creating your own stat sheet and thinking that you can be a commentator. There's a huge difference. And there's also a big difference between just sidling into the booth and sitting down and having a chat with somebody for three hours. Commentary is not a chat. There's a real art to it. And I wouldn't wouldn't say that I'm anywhere near, anywhere near the best in the profession. I'm incredibly lucky to have had a career in it. And I'm incredibly lucky to now have a new opportunity. And I will strive to improve every day and every time I sit in front of the microphone. But I do think there is a nuance to the job that some people don't quite appreciate. And that's why this 
opportunity is great because I can talk about it and I can talk about what I love doing and I can talk about areas of the job that maybe people don't see. Now, Jonathan, you've been very humble and and I told you four years ago that for me, you are the best in the business in tennis and and I stand by that four years later, you know, and, and I always, of all of my experiences that I've had as a tennis player, tennis coach, academy owner, and I've been fortunate to do a little bit of broadcasting, you know, being involved, sitting next to you, deliver the art of commentary is one of the most amazing experiences that I've ever had. And, and yeah. it's and it's incredible how it's incredible how you did it. And and not, I, not just sitting next to you, but also listening to you and how you've brought so many matches alive. So mm. you've certainly but I do got want, I do want to interrupt you because th this strikes the heart of what I'm just saying, because that's that's fine. And I I really appreciate what you're saying, Dan, but you can tell me everything about how to hit a double-handed backhand. You can tell me how to hit a volley at the net. I can't tell you that. So for some people. That knowledge that you have that I don't have is more valuable, right? And I completely get that, completely get that. That's why th this point that I'm making, that there is no right or wrong way, it's about it's about everyone bringing what they can bring to the table is, is so important. And having that mix of voices, um, you know, is, is invaluable. And, you know, I pre appreciate what you're saying, mate, there. That's, that's very kind. Uh, the the last one, Jonathan, in this, again, radio commentary has always been my first love. Mm, yeah, and, well, that and, doesn't change. And, and that, uh, so the, my question on that, you're obviously, we're not trying to look too far in the future, uh, but where does radio commentary fit into your future for for people that love hearing you? We don't get to hear you as much on TV because as you rightly say, during the point, you should be shutting up, hopefully, you know? Mm. So, so is, is this going to be something in the sky have a radio channel? Is it something that is going to be part of your immediate future over the next 12 months? And where does radio sit in your future moving forward? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a slightly awkward one, isn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> the fact is I'm, I'm now working for a TV broadcaster. So, um, yeah, my mindset is definitely going to have to change, but it, you know, is radio still my first love? Absolutely. Because it's, I've worked the vast majority of my professional life in radio and that, that idea that, you know, people can be in a hot air balloon and hanging on your every word from center court is just irreplaceable. And, that sort of direct connection, if you like, that, that radio offers. But look, I, I will be trying to bring a lot of what I've learned from my radio days to, to the TV coverage, for sure. You know, trying to be evocative with storytelling, with taking people behind the curtain, the, the personalities, absolutely, and the emotion. The emotion of the sport is is so important to me. Um I, I'm not as interested in others about what happened last time somebody hit a cross-court backhand on a Wednesday with the wind blowing in a southwesterly direction. All right? I'm not as interested. I'm, I'm vaguely interested. And if it's relevant at the time, I'll bring that into the into the commentary for sure. You know, I'm not a total dinosaur. But to me, sport is about what it does to our souls 
how it makes us feel. We want to sit there and live a match and be there at the beating heart of it. And as a commentator, your job is to bring that alive and, as I say, to alert people to the possibility of what might be about to happen. And that's why that's why those big moments are, are so, so special. And as a broadcaster, something like Murray winning Wimbledon, I mean, come on. 7th of July, 2003. No, 2013. <laughs> it's so ingrained in my mind. Unbelievable day. Unbelievable day. Because the moment gets closer and you think, right, this is it. This is it. This is what... This is what everyone, everyone's hanging on your every word. And thankfully on TV, less so, because as you say, the best commentators just shut up and let the pictures do the talking. So uh, so we'll try and be doing a bit of that. And what about the future for radio itself within sport? Because like some of my favourite movies, they they talk about the, the baseball commentators and you can see people sit on their deck out in, in America listening to the baseball commentary. And I spoke to you, actually, it was... It was fun listening back because I spoke about my family holidays, you know, us listening to the cricket when it's raining outside, sitting in a in the car or sitting in the tent. You know, there's, there's such a, it brings a big smile to my face when I speak about it because what you're saying about touching the soul, it's so impactful and been so impactful for so many of us, you know, which maybe TV commentary hasn't probably had that impact on, certainly myself. But in this world, who's listening to the radio nowadays? Because it's so accessible on TV. So what what is the future? I don't know the, the ins and outs of the figures, but what is the future of tennis and sport on the radio? I would like to think that there is still a bright future for, for sport on the radio. I really hope, and certainly I'm not aware that there is any any imminent threat to it. Because... You're right. People still are in their cars. They're still on the beach. They're still on, in their air balloons. They want to know what's going on. Some people prefer to listen to matches on the radio than they do watch on the TV. You know, there are people out there. And, uh, you know, I really hope that radio lives and lives and lives. And isn't it interesting, actually, that the great stride that the media industry has made in the last decade has been in the world of audio, podcasting, this what you're listening to right now control the controllables with daniel kiernan you know it, it's incredible isn't it that our industry the audio industry should enjoy such a renaissance in this sort of vehicle of podcasting that no one really tapped into before when they actually could have done anyone could have recorded a half hour conversation and stuck it on myspace or on soundcloud or on any of these <laughs> long yeah, yeah. defunct platforms but they didn't uh, until David Law invented podcasting in about <laughs> 2005. All right, right. Um, but anyway, no. Did you know, so, so actually, that's what enthuses me, that, you know, we talk about the future of radio. I think about the future of audio. And actually, audio is in a really strong place because now you've got this vehicle for audio, which has just ex exploded much further than I ever imagined when I did my sure. first podcast in about two, 2007. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think the future's bright. Are you ready for our quick fire round? Let's do it. My first question, I've been waiting to ask this for a long time. Do you have your number one record yet? No, no. So this goes back to, I think, <laughs> if I'm right, your... I probably told you what it said on my local radio biography, yeah? Your my two amb ambitions. My two ambitions. My <laughs> ambition was to commentate on a Wimbledon tennis final and compose a number one record. <laughs> I'm still composing music. 
Um, but I'm not aiming for the top of the pop charts, but I do, I write a lot of music. So the production company I run, we make sort of documentaries um, and I, I compose a lot of the music for that, um, which is fun. Nicky Campbell does the same. Nicky Campbell's cool. a keen musician and Nicky Campbell writes a lot of music for, for his podcast as well. So it keeps me off the streets. I'm not interested in that, Jonathan. You come back to me when you've got your number one record. Do you know what I mean? I'm a high achiever. Come on, you've achieved. Maybe I'll do you a new theme tune. I'm not. Uh, there we go. Yeah. That'll, I love, that'll get I love your out. podcast, but I hate the theme tune. <laughs> oh, do you? How? Well, there's a there's a there's a story behind it because it's it's actually a Soto tennis player that did it. That so oh. so that's again we talk about the feel and the and the soul and being a bit closer close to home. So yeah, everything has been very organically done throughout the podcast, linked linked to the family that we call Team Soto. So I won't tell him and maybe he doesn't know. So I don't want him to get upset. No. But personal preference uh, and all if, that. Uh, if you hey Jonathan, I'm open to you presenting something to me, you know, at any, no, now, at any time. Now I know that. Absolutely. Stick with it all the way. Absolutely. It's all about the brand, Dan, all about the brand. Uh, so who's going to be the year-end world number ones on the men's and women's tour in 2024? Uh, I'll go Novak Djokovic and Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka, for me, has the opportunity now to... Not exactly mop up, but I think the consistency. Don't say it. Don't say she, it. But she's shown at the Grand Slams, hasn't she? What is it? Semi-finals or better of the last six now? Um, winning, winning two, final of another, setting a break up at Wimbledon as well in her semi. You know, she she's there every time. And when you look at the active players with Grand Slam titles, if you still if you still got Venus as an active player, which of course you should, she's got seven. But Sabalenka for me is now the one who I feel has got the potential to get to double digits. And the way she's playing, she could do that quickly. French Open champions, men's and women's singles this year. Could it be Rafael Nadal? Oh, I mean, Nadal's going to be very interesting to follow, isn't it? Because he started off so well out in Oz and and, and then it didn't happen. So I don't know. What What, what do you think? I think it's. I think he's 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 going to throw the kitchen sink at him. Yeah. Uh, and and I think I saw enough in Australia, from a tennis perspective, it is abnormal the level he was playing at when he has not competed for twelve months. That doesn't happen. You don't come back and and compete to that level. That he okay two and a half matches, but he showed me enough in those two and a half matches to say his level is there. I was really impressed. The 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 question mark is does his body hold up? You know, and but I think he knows his body well enough that he is going to do everything he can to have his body ready to be able to last seven matches if needed at Roland Garros. And he has a little extra five, 10%, right? You know, someone yeah. sees him at the other end of the court. Um I think it would be a dream story, and I and I love oh, stories, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? And and you know, I've I've always said if if Rafa is in the draw at Roland Garros, how can you not make him favourite? You know, given his record, but this would this would be the first year when logic would would go against that. But as you say, these these all time greats have a long long history of defying all logic. So and anything is possible. But I'll I'll go I'll go Novak. 
Novak to win the men's and our, I mean. You've got to go Sabalenka after what you said, surely. Mm, I'll go Sabalenka for Wimbledon. I'll uh, I'll go. A bit boring to go for Shvantec. Well, uh, she's the one to beat. She's yeah. the one, she's the I, one I do think Osaka has, has got it in her, I think. And I think she this new mindset, I think, will keep making adjustments to her game. And I know a disappointing defeat in, in Melbourne in the end. She she was outplayed and outthought on the court. But I think she will learn a lot from that and will switch things up for future slams. So I think rule out Osaka this year at, at your peril at the uh, at the slams. Just not on a clay court. No. Definitely. Oh, no, not on a clay court. I'll go and drive her for, for the French. That could be a great call. She has a she has a bright, bright future. What's the number one thing that people will take from the new Sky Sports Tennis Channel? They will take a lot of it. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of it. Well, they, they estimate about four thousand matches over the course of the year from more than more than eighty tournaments. So, you know, the most important thing is people know that from the eleventh of February there is a dedicated tennis channel in Great Britain for the very first time. Sky Sports Tennis, and you know, it is going to be there round the clock and you know we, we just can't wait to welcome everybody from those who'll be watching tennis full-time day in day out what they do with their day jobs i've got no idea some of these people who watch tennis round the clock do you have a day, day job if you do you surely can't do it very well if you do congratulations because you're unbelievable at multitasking but we'll also be getting people who love their premier league football and maybe you've only ever watched premier league football now tennis is getting showcased with ad breaks for example trailers for doha at half time in the premier league you know that that's a that's a big deal right that that's a big deal for tennis to get that sort of exposure to say to the football fans right there's there's 3 million of you watching here there might have only been 100,000 watching the stream from Abu Dhabi on the tennis but there's 3 million of you watching this Premier League football match let's get some of you along to the next tennis tournament how can that not be good news for tennis the elite premier tour or not no no Let's let's invest in all the good things about tennis and the, the, the elite do very well out of the sport already. Manifestation, manifestation, Jonathan. You're going to have a world number one. You're going to, uh, sorry, you're going to have a record number one. What's the name of it? Well, I wrote it. I wrote it in 1999 and I still believe it's a number one record. It's called Sitting on Top of the World. So it, it, it's a song which could be used as, you know, on a, on a Sky Sports montage as as Raducanu spectacularly wins the Doha title uh, in a week's time. Play that song. You know, it, it would be the perfect accompaniment. And I've got it sealed for copyright purposes in, a, in an envelope in my loft, and it's been sealed for 25 years, just in case. And this is my, this is my dream, Dan, my dream legal moment in life. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, music's weird, isn't it? You've got eight, eight notes in a bar. You've only got a certain number of pro chord progressions or topics for a song one day a song will be written that is completely identical to a song that's been written before right that's my logic so my hope is one day someone writes this song passes it off on their own and i can sail away into the sunset having sued them thanks to my sealed envelope in the loft and who should our next guest be on control the controllables so i would love so i always whenever i listen to your your chats i always get to the end um thank you 
because I think it's really important. And I think, you know, you put a lot of preparation into these conversations and it shows. And I think it's kind of a bit sort of a bit rude, I think, if you dip out midway through or before. So I always hear you getting to the end of these conversations asking this question. And for me, I'd, I'd love, so we've spoken a lot about the influence of outside voices to benefit the sport of tennis rather than see that as some sort of hindrance or interference. I'd, I'd love to hear a conversation between you and a tennis fan who doesn't work in tennis or a tennis or a, a sports executive or an entertainment executive who loves tennis but who doesn't work and has never worked in tennis. I'd love to hear that outside perspective. Some of these questions that you're asking me that I'm sort of like a little sort of like on the fence about because I can see both sides of the argument and I can see vested interests and I can see if you kill off doubles, then then Dan and Dan's friends, you know, are basically out of out of jobs. So I'd love to get that outside perspective, ask them the same questions, see what they say, because I think the sport might be able to learn a lot from that. But if anyone jumps to mind, I'll certainly yeah, have a think conversation, then, then send it over. But Jonathan, you, as always, are an absolute star and and it, your time is usually appreciated, your your honesty even more so. And thank you for, for sharing your story, but also thank you for letting us know a little bit more about what is an exciting thing for us all to look forward to and you know like you say tennis is is fighting against so many things and the fact that it is now on this huge platform that let's be honest a lot of people have access to because they love premier league football that has been the poll for many 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 years and now to be able to just press the up channel two or three channels and have all of this unlimited tennis has to be a good thing for our sport. So wishing you and everyone the, the very best of luck with the with the launch this weekend of, of the channel. And certainly I will be watching and watching very, very closely as I do wherever I can find tennis. So thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Dan. Keep up the good work. Well, I just spoke there for two hours with Jonathan Overend and it probably wasn't an easy edit for Vicky, who is beside me. And we've had to take a bit of a chunk out, haven't we? So I think we might have another another episode coming to you in the next few weeks. It's impossible for me to say that Jonathan Overend is a difficult edit. I, I said last time he was on, his voice is like silk. And he's a bit like you. He's a bit, you know, perfect speaker, one take. There's no umming, there's no ahs, there's no mistakes. He just speaks beautifully. But boy, you two can talk. <laughs> two hours, I was like, we, we can't put it out as a full episode like this. And I know it's almost Valentine's Day, but we are rather close here with this one microphone. <laughs> you know, you might have heard, not only does Jonathan have by far the superior voice to me, he also had by far the superior microphone. And since I've come back from Australia, we've learnt that my ever steady microphone over the last few years just hasn't been working and I must I've been getting the blame for this that I haven't been turning it on <laughs> properly so I am actually pleased tonight as we're bringing this to you we've worked out that we think that we think it might be broken so me and Vicky here Feb the 11th it's almost Valentine's Day stood right next to each other doing this but sharing uh, a mic we, we used to do this when we first started the show so it's poignant that we've got Jonathan on because um, this is how we were doing it back then as well. <laughs> 
and lots for us to, I guess, jump into and dissect. But we already did speak for so much. So just very quickly, if we go through a few things. First thing I want to say is, I hope Jonathan's all right. You know, he's. It sounds like you know he's he's had a he's had a challenging time, and I think it's so brave of him to be able to share that with us. And 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 I'm sure now going into that life again, that life of relentlessness that we talked about the tennis does bring you know and, and and I'm sure now he knows himself much better and anybody that's in the tennis world that is experiencing those same things you know whether you're a tennis coach a, a parent a player it, it is make sure you are taking time for yourself and I think that message came through loud and clear from Jonathan it did, and alongside all the messages he said, actually, from me um, editing him and listening to his voice all weekend, we've also been seeing his face all over social media. Sky Sports have obviously done uh, a good job promoting the launch of the new channel. He's done a, a bit of a photo shoot with Tim Henman, Laura Robson and Gigi Salmon, who um, are all going to be working, doing the commentary on Sky Sports. Um, what do you think, then? I mean good thing for tennis fans a bad thing for tennis fans I'm really excited I think the first thing actually I, I hope you don't have COVID by the way because this we are so close this <laughs> this microphone this microphone is definitely passing it on sorry don't let me put you off <laughs> but yeah bringing it back to that of course it's great right I think it's anything that is showcasing tennis and I guess the jury's out. The ju- the jury's out on the ease of watching matches. Um, I guess having having Sky, you have the multi-court, which is brilliant. Um, the jury's out whether it's going to be showing a range of matches, singles, doubles at, at different events. Uh, uh, the the jury's out for me on on how much they're going to bring tennis alive to the to the next generation you know how are you bringing the personalities out i think it's one thing to have matches on which is which is fantastic but i'm, I'm excited to see what content and creativity that they that they have with this you know and i think even even some of the bits i saw i know i saw laura robson and tim hemman doing various little games to get the excitement going uh as a as a Geordie, I'd like to hear a few more localized voices. You know, I'm not I'm not sure that we do a great job in British tennis of actually showcasing the whole country. Uh, that would be certainly something bringing a, a few more personalities out there as well. Um, but certainly to have have this platform that is there twenty four seven. It, it has it has to be a good thing and I, I think my last thing to say Vicky on that is and Jonathan said this and it definitely got me thinking the fact that all those millions of people are watching Premier League football at the weekends and then there's an advert for tennis now the cynic in me says well nobody watches adverts anymore you know, however, it has popped up on my social media stream today that there is some adverts with Jamie Carragher, uh, Nasser Hussein from the cricket team, and there's tennis balls flying around, and they're, they're saying a few words about the tennis channel. And, and, and I think that reach that's out there now on that platform has to be a good thing. What was really cool today, for me, 
you know, it's the weekend, the football's on in our house. And uh, I was making the lunch and on my phone popped up on Sky Sports. It's always popping up the live football schools, blah, 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 the rugby over the weekend. And then it came up with a reminder, well, a reminder for me, um, but a message saying, you know, the WTA event in Doha is on, you know, go head now to the, I can't remember the exact wording, but head now to, you know, Sky Sports yeah, tennis channel um, to watch. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I never get these messages on the weekend on my on my phone. It's- but, there's, but there is also, I guess, the... The counter to that, there's a Sky Sports cricket channel, there's a Sky Sports F1 channel, there's a Sky Sports various sport channels. I don't go to that to watch. (laughs) Unless either I don't just randomly go and watch cricket or randomly go and watch golf. If I want to watch a big event, then I I will. You know, so that's why I go back to the content, the creativity, the creation of personalities, bringing them alive, the creation of rivalries. You know, these are the things we need to do in our sport. And it's going to be really interesting how it comes through. And 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 the one thing I also have to say, Vicky, tennis, for it to be a sport that truly is out there and available to everybody, there has to be there has to be a way of us, us watching the sport and playing the sport in, in a more affordable price, you know, and I think this is a great stepping stone, this is a great possibility, but I still want to beat that drum that we've got to get it into people's homes. Obviously, Wimbledon does that for two weeks a year in the UK, you know, Rohan Bopan has just become world number one. He said you can't watch a match in India without it being on some form of cable TV. We've got to be able to get it into people's homes and we've also got to make it more accessible for people to play tennis. And that is a drum that we also need to keep beating on. And I hope that through this channel, that is also a message that is sent along the along the way. And over to you, Mr. Hemman. Miss Robson, Miss Salmon and Mr. Overend to continue getting those messages out there as well. Well, it's got me. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to watch. I was really excited. Like I said, when it came up on my phone today, that would have sent me it sent me straight to the television to put it on. So yeah, let's let's see how it goes. Let's see how they get on. I mean, there was one question I can't believe you didn't ask, Jonathan. Oh, you've always you're always hard oh, on me. I've always got something. Um he said he's written a song which he thinks is a number one record and you didn't ask him if he sings. Yeah, but I've Jonathan I can't ask all the questions because you, Jonathan's gonna come on a third time at he's some He's written point. he's written a song and he has the most beautiful voice. So we that kind of you have to imagine that he has got a beautiful singing voice as well to go with that number one record. It's a question for the next time he comes on. I will save that question and many more that I still have for, for, for you, Jonathan. In 2028, in another four years. <laughs> I'm not waiting so long next time, but you were brilliant, Jonathan. You always are. And I am so pleased that Jonathan Overend is going to be on our screens. That I, I say it, but I can't say this enough about him. It's the voice of tennis for me. He's yeah. taken me through so many amazing tennis matches and moments that I can pinpoint in my life and honestly it's a it's a big big privilege and honor always to to speak to Jonathan so so thank you well we can't go without saying a really big thank you to those of you that voted for us at the sports 
Podcast Awards. So excited because for the third year in a row, we won Best Tennis Podcast. And um, yeah. Tennis and rackets. Tennis and rackets this year. And it was much, I think we've said before, it was a really tough category this year. There's some amazing, amazing tennis and racket podcasts. So uh, yeah, we just wanted to say a massive thank you if you voted. A massive thank you to listen for listening to the podcast this past year. And a big, big thank you as well um, to guests like Jonathan for coming on in the past year and giving up their time to share their stories, share their expertise with us. Um, as you will have heard Dan say many times, he set the podcast up to educate, entertain and energise the tennis community. And without the guests that we, we have on, we just couldn't do that. So a massive thank you to them. And without all of those votes, Vicky wouldn't have been able to celebrate partying hard like she has done over the last week. You were lucky to get her on today. Been drinking champagne, popping the bottles and celebrating. Cup of tea more like. <laughs> for, the last, for the last week. But guys, lots more to come and, and actually some really exciting news on the horizon. Watch this space. But until next time, I'm Dan Keenan and we are... Control the controls.